The invisible phenomenon attached to that man had chosen me as the last target. I escaped with my life simply because I'd been last on the list. My co-workers, however, became messy red piles of research for the vile bureau. I could vomit now recalling this event to you. For now, I'll share with you the transcript to the follow-up interview after the man and 080, which followed him, were moved to a high-security environment. This is from the portion of the interview in which he explained to our researchers where he first discovered Imprinter. Moonlight shone through my window, cascade of pale gold upon an otherwise dark room. I lay in bed, unable to welcome sleep. I was restless with thoughts of my approaching birthday weekend. I wished relentlessly for a G.I. Joe action figure whose bazooka launched little plastic rockets. Oh, the destruction that would be wrought once such a weapon came into my seven-year-old self's possession. My sister would no doubt run for the hills. Car lights from the street below ricocheted from my window, rendering the moonlight to mere ribbons of silver. This caught my attention. It was unusual to see anyone up and about in our upper middle class neighborhood at two in the morning. In fact, nearly everyone around these parts had synchronized circadian rhythms, up to work by seven, down to bed by nine. It was clockwork. And this strange vehicle had thrown a wrench into the cogs. I pulled the toasty race car pattern blanket from atop of me, revealing Power Ranger pajamas that rendered sleepover contestants to jealousy. I walked quietly over to the window, my light footsteps never breaking the thick silence of the two-story house. As the window came fully into view, the headlights that shone disappeared, along with the faint sound of a rattling engine of an old sedan. My eyes barely rose over the bottom of the windowsill, so I was forced to stand tiptoe on soft blue footsies. The moonlight was poignant through the crystal pane, its effervescence almost a physical thing as it brushed against my red cheeks. The full moon was so bright I had to let my eyes adjust before I was able to behold the street below and the house next door. Soon, my blurred vision gave way to the beauty of the night, the stars rejoicing silently in the heavens. The man on the moon could probably be seen waving from the enlarged sphere. Fireflies danced about the hedges below, performing their ancient ritual whilst the minds of men drifted away from lucidity. It had to be the most beautiful night I had ever seen. Sadly, two strange figures were soon to break this collective serenity. In front of the house, just beside ours, was a solid black car that seemed too old and beaten up to belong to any of the neighbors. Of course, my playful mind quickly assumed they were burglars, but if they were, they must have been amateurs. The vehicle was loud. They kept their lights on. They didn't even bother trying to hide the car. There was a sudden thrill in my heart as I saw two men step out of the vehicle. They instantly confirmed my suspicions. The men were dressed completely in black, no skin showing thanks to the cover of ski masks. The one that had been riding passenger made his way quickly to the one who had been driving, only to slap him upside the head. I suppressed a giggle. Should have turned the lights off, I thought. They proceeded to pull two large duffel bags from the back seat of their car. 
They couldn't have made their intentions more obvious as they walked to the side of the house with the bags in tow. One of them turned backward, nearly giving me a heart attack as he gazed right up at my window. I jerked my head down, the intrigue of watching the thieves quickly gone as the situation came a little too close to home. I cursed myself under my breath and hoped against hope the man hadn't seen me. I waited several painstaking seconds before just barely rearing my eyes above the windowsill. I sighed with relief. The one that had looked up at me was awkwardly trying to fit through a window that hadn't opened completely. The other was still outside, pushing on him to force him through. I continued my vigil and noted mentally that I should be more careful. Finally, the thief fell with an audible thud. The man who was still outside looked around, mild panic apparent in his demeanor. Once he was sure his friend's intruding racket had not awakened the neighborhood, he threw his bag through the window and tiptoed around to the front door. Once there, the door opened. His partner must have opened it for him. The fact that no alarm ever sounded surprised me. This was an upper-middle-class neighborhood. Everyone had alarms, or so I thought. The lack of an alarm there was not an unrealistic idea, considering the owner. Mr. Folly was exactly how you'd picture an old geezer, cranky with years of survived war under his belt, lonely yet unwelcoming to any strangers, arrogant, assuming his ways were more correct than others. He was what my father called an ass of all trades. No one bothered him, and for the most part, he didn't bother us, though there were times when the length of our grass was apparently life-threatening in his opinion. He always freaked me the hell out. Sure, he was angry all the time, but it was his appearance that rattled me. He had moles that had evolved into vistas of excess skin. It reminded me of the wart on a witch's nose, except his were pronounced from the top of his forehead to the part of his neck that disappeared into his shirts. His glare was petrifying. Once I had been caught in his leer and it felt as if my heart had turned to stone. No matter how long I lived next to this old man, something always seemed off about him. Thoughts faded to miscellany, and my gaze once again became my focus. The house through the window was as still and quiet as it had been before the arrival of the guests. Every few seconds, I could hear a subtle clatter indicating a new prize falling into one of the thieves' bags. I wondered if they were excited as they took what they pleased, or if they were too busy worrying about being caught to enjoy the bounty. <sighs> a yawn manifested from deep in my chest. I rubbed my eyes and returned to bed. There was no telling how long these men were going to be in there. Had I a different disposition toward Mr. Folly, perhaps I would have awakened my father and mother to deal with the interlopers. At the moment, I couldn't give two shits whether the man lost a few worldly possessions or had his window left up by strangers in the night. I closed my eyes and tried to focus on sleep. My eyelids ripped open like the paper from an eager child's gift. A loud metal clang boomed from outside. I'd even felt my room shake from its formidable resonance. My blood froze in my veins, and the hairs on the back of my neck were fully erect. I threw off my bed sheets and ran over to the window, careless of the noise that my little feet might have created. Besides, it wouldn't have been tiny footsteps that jolted my parents awake. I pulled my head up to see through the window. Mr. Folly's house was as still as I had last seen it. I glanced from story to story, window to window, trying desperately to find any signs of movement or presence. Sadly, there was nothing. 
There was not to be seen, and my curiosity would have none of it. I reached up, barely able to pluck the latch from the window. It slowly and noisily creaked open a hair. The strange noises soon followed. There was a sound that resembled faint muttering, and another that had to be heavy footsteps. They were coming from the second story of the house, precisely across from where I was standing. It sounded as if there was a struggle taking place in the house. My heart was suddenly filled with dread and guilt as I realized that these thieves must have awakened Mr. Folly. My heart sank. I was so scared that my inaction had led to my neighbor getting hurt or even killed. I stepped back from the window when another loud bang erupted from the house. The sound was far louder, unabbreviated by the now open window. I had to wake my parents. I had to get help quickly. Someone was hurt or dead, I was sure. It was all my fault. I should have done something while I had the chance. Hell, had that man seen me looking through the window, they probably would have run off and returned at a later time at least. No, no, no! A man's voice breathed through the cracked window. Hell, man, that wasn't supposed to happen. I quickly treaded across the carpet to once again peer down into the situation. It was one of the thieves. He was walking. No. He was limping down the porch of the house, holding one of his arms as if he was wounded. He came to two needless steps that he had once skipped over with ease. This time he tumbled down. That was when I saw the dark spots behind him. Spots that hadn't been there prior. They looked like wet spots. It was only when the man got up from his fall that I was just barely able to see their color against his black shirt. The faintly familiar color of blood. The thief bounded awkwardly the remaining distance to his car. And without his partner, he revved the engine and fled down the road. The sound of squealing tires erasing the silence and peace that had only moments ago been this very neighborhood. My morbid curiosity peaked. I had so many questions, and the only way to have them answered was to keep watching. A flash of something drew my vigil to the second-story window adjacent to mine. Inside, it was black still, as if the last few seconds were a tiresome hallucination. From the outside looking in, there was no sign of a struggle, or even an intrusion. Thud. I nearly fell to the floor, but I caught myself, unable to look away. A hand bound in now wholly worn black gloves had slapped itself against the window. Inside the holes that peppered the gloves, I could see blood and bruised skin. The hand slid slowly down the pane, bare skin slowing the descent of the appendage as a sickening noise flooded my ears. The sound of skin rubbing on glass. Then, the whites of two eyes appeared where the hand had been. They were wide, anguish palpable as I stared into them. The hand made a return as it grabbed at the ski mask and pulled it away from the man's face. My entire body grew cold with the sight. The man's face was embroidered with patches of dried blood, cuts and scrapes, and newly formed bruises. He looked at me, fully aware of my presence, yet I could not look away. His mouth opened wide and morphed slowly. I expected to hear words, but I could plainly see that the window across from me was sealed tight. 
I yelled across to him, disregarding the sleeping household behind me, disregarding the man before me who had probably just been firing off a gun and stealing the neighbor's things. I was too curious to care, so curious as to be stupid with my actions. He repeated the mouthing, this time a voice tangible in the night. I heard his words just barely through my cracked window, but I heard them nonetheless. I felt myself gulp, shaking my head in fear and confusion in response. Help me. Not seconds after the man's words became understood in my young brain, his face was pulled away suddenly. It wasn't so much pulled as yanked away. In an instant, he was gone, leaving me to behold an empty, black window. But only for a moment. There was no sound as it hit the window across from me, but just as one often does when they witness a noiseless action, my mind made up a noise to go with it. A sickening, splattering noise. What had to be a pint of blood splattered against the glass. Initially, I flinched, but as I realized what that ominous substance had to be, I proceeded to vomit all over my pajamas. My stomach felt alien sensations, a queasiness formerly unknown to my young self. It flipped and turned and jumped around to spots it shouldn't have been. Despite my internal agony, I looked on. I don't know why I did. I was so stupid and ignorant, foolish and young and lacking worldly wisdom. I should have looked away. I should have gotten help, but damn it. Man was not made with proper control over his inquisitiveness. I saw the blood drip down slowly in a way only viscous molasses could. I saw movement in the dark beyond that splatter of crimson, and soon, that figure made itself known to me. It wasn't sudden. First, there were handprints that seemed to come from nowhere. No, they couldn't have been handprints. They were too long, ending in inhumanly sharp points. Not to mention there were only four fingers, if that's what they actually were. Then, in between those two handprints, the blood began to disappear and give way to a new shape. The formation was slow and deliberate, I even found myself squinting, in spite of sheer horror, trying to figure out the shape before it was complete. It was a face. A face as ageless and old as time itself. It wasn't human, nor was it something that belonged in this plane of existence. There was nothing on earth to compare it to. There was a nose, or what looked like one. There were eyes and shapes that mimicked no known creature. But worst of all was the smile. God, that smile. It didn't belong on that inhuman face, giving off a human emotion. I remember my body being overwhelmed with strange fear. I was too young to feel that afraid, to feel as if my life was about to be stolen from me. I was seven, and I had pure, unadulterated fear for my life. At this point, a mature person would have warned someone, or at least sought help. But my mind was foggy with anxiety and cloudy with dread. It was a complete mental climate change. All I wanted to do, all I could do, was run to the safety of my blanket. I hid, shivering violently under my thin shelter. I soon realized that I had left the window open, and I cursed myself. Morning couldn't have come soon enough. The hours that drudged by felt more like years. Years feeling terror that could be compared to someone hiding desperately from a serial killer. I never left that bed, afraid that the light was a lie, 
and something would devour me the moment I set foot from it. It was my mother who found me. She immediately asked me about the nightmare. She assumed that was the reason for the bags under my eyes and my continuous shaking. I answered only with a hug, wordless in my persistent terror. There were no cops that day, let alone that week. No one investigated the disturbances from the previous night. Somehow, everyone else had slept through the gunshots. My too tranquil neighborhood would have slept through a hurricane. It took me hours to build up the courage just to re-enter my room after school the next day. Once there, I walked right over to that window and shut it. I was about to walk away, but something sent a chill up my spine. There was something that I had failed to notice. I turned again, now facing my closed window. Across the way, just through that fateful glass pane, stood Mr. Folly. He was cleaning his window. My whole childhood was ruled with fear of my neighbor. I would pray and pray for his death to come, for the old man to finally croak. I never understood what I had witnessed, but I was only human. I had to have someone to blame, and it just made sense to blame the man who had been calmly cleaning his window that morning. It wasn't until I was 16 that my fear turned to exasperation and I had the courage to finally confront my boogeyman. It was early in the afternoon, twilight several hours away, when I made my way over to his lawn. He was sprawled out comfortably in a chair, sipping away at a sparkling glass of lemonade. He was wearing flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt, but he still had an expression of hatred and indignation on his face. It only made me angrier. I stood directly in his line of sight, and just as he was about to irritably question my action, I poured out the story I had been repressing. I told him what I had seen that night so many years ago. I told him that second thief had never made his way out. I told him that I saw a bloody face appear in that window. Then the questions came tumbling out. The questions of why there were no police, what happened to the burglar and what the hell that face was. For the first time in my life, Mr. Folly's expression was not of anger. He frowned. The sinking feeling returned like a bitter friend. My anger dissipated only to make room for years old fear. I watched as the old man before me looked relieved and depressed at the same time. Then he spoke. I'm so sorry, son. I had no idea you saw that mess. God damn it, boy, why didn't you look away? Go call for help. Why did you have to stay and watch? Ah, never mind. Look at me. You listen to every word I say, and you better not doubt a breath of it. Come inside. I'll tell you everything there. I shook my head in utter panic, unable to say a word. He leaned forward. Fine enough. I don't blame you. Hell, you saw the thing. That thing. The face you saw in the window. It's not human. I'm sure you know that. Why did you have to look at it? Anyway, the man, the burglar who never came out of my home, he's buried in my yard, right under that mound of dirt around back. I took a step back, and he leaned in closer. I found him dead, you see? In the hallway upstairs, his skin was nearly stripped clean off. I never thought it would come to something like that, 
but those damn fools shouldn't have broke into my home. That inhuman thing. It's been following me for years. His head lowered. For a moment, I thought he was going to cry. I fought in the Vietnam War. Didn't know how I managed to survive without a scratch on me, but I would rather have lost an arm than have that thing follow me home. I heard ghost stories over there. Things that'd make you shit yourself from the mere mention. I never thought they were real, but how fucking wrong I was. My platoon raided a small fishing village along the Noon River. I didn't understand our objective. There wasn't a single gun in that place. Shit. We murdered over two dozen innocent men and women. They told me it was part of war. They kill us, we kill them. It was on our way out that something didn't feel right. We were to trek through the surrounding jungle and rendezvous with an approaching ally unit. But I heard things behind me. Of course, I thought it was a fellow soldier, or maybe even a tiger, but this thing just didn't make the same noise as a natural creature. Then, the bloody handprints started showing up on trees. They would show up from as low as the base, all the way up the damn canopy. I tried to shake it off, tried to keep my objective in my head. I shrugged it off as just another part of war. Sounds in the jungle blood in the trees. Someone must have escaped the slaughter, I told myself. It was when I came upon a small pond that I saw it. God, I was so thirsty. But I should have waited. I'd give anything to go back and tell myself to wait. Because when I looked into that water, it wasn't my face that I saw. It wasn't human, either. Must be something about it being seen. Attaches itself to you bonds itself to you until it's fed a soul. That's the story I heard over there. It's a demon. No more, no less. Unfortunately, the war was over before I was able to kill another man and lift the curse. God, all these years I thought it was satisfied with that thief's soul and finally left me. If anything, I thought it might have attached itself to the one that got away. He lunged at me, grabbed me by my lower arm as I stood there. I was shaking. Needless to say, I tried not to believe him, but the scared child in me was quivering in trepidation. I was wrong. My boy, you shouldn't be looking at things that don't concern you. You should have been asleep like all the other kids in the city. Now, that demon has attached itself to you. I pulled my arm away verbally refusing to believe his nonsense. I couldn't let him know that things were never right after that day, about the feeling of something following me no matter how alone I was, about how I kept misplacing things I never recalled touching. I walked away, never giving a response to his terrifying tale. I wanted to be home. I wanted to wait for my parents to come home and beg them on my knees to move us to another place. Anywhere would be an improvement from the hell I had been forced to live in. At home, I stormed upstairs and slammed my bedroom door shut. I hid under the blanket like I had so many times before. I don't know how I was able to sleep, but it was well needed. My stressed body required a shutdown after such a story. When I awoke, I heard my parents downstairs. The fear fled me as relief replaced it. I was happy they were home, that I didn't feel alone anymore. 
I was anxious to go downstairs, to join them for dinner and plead my case for a quick move. I yawned and stretched, a pressure in my abdomen taking me to the bathroom. I relieved myself and tried to wash my hands. I just never got around to it, because in the mirror, I could see a bloody handprint on my reflection. I screamed and fell onto the floor, watching in horror as an otherworldly face encompassed in blood smeared itself onto the mirror. I looked not into the spaces where its eyes were, nor did I look at the nose that didn't seem completely right. I was too busy looking into an all-too-familiar smile. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. RBP-0080, otherwise known as Imprinter, is an invisible entity which only reveals itself to certain people and only when it is ready to leave its current host. Those who see Imprinter's physical form become imprinted. From then on, the phenomenon is stuck to that unfortunate soul. 0080 kills indiscriminately and without warning of any kind. To this day, Redwood researchers have not figured out when it chooses to attack, but they have figured out why. After that initial researcher and agent were killed in front of me, their bodies were heavily examined. It was found that a liter of blood was missing from each body. Further human and animal experiments revealed Imprinter has no desire to harm simple animals. It seems to absorb or drink the blood of human victims. It is not currently known if the phenomenon requires the blood to persist. Over the years, 0080 has imprinted on over a dozen different subjects. During the transition from one imprinted subject to another, Imprinter becomes visible only to the newly imprinted host. Hosts describe seeing the same thing, a vastly old humanoid creature, with fingers and limbs far too long to be human. The entity is said to never stop smiling. The researchers believe the expression is not a smile in the human sense. Its eyes resemble a mesh of small, pulsating veins. During an attack, Imprinter will leave a trail in the form of bloody handprints, which indicates its location. However, no trace of its location can be ascertained otherwise. As of now, 0080 
is no longer held at the Bureau, having escaped containment. It imprinted on an agent who then vanished from the Bureau. By now, it could be attached to any of us. RPP report 0080 deactivated. I'm Josh Tomar, host of Redwood Bureau. Thank you for listening. Redwood Bureau is a horror fiction podcast and part of the EerieCast podcast network. For more dreadful terrors, follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and iTunes, and check out our other podcasts like Unexplained Encounters and Freaky Folklore on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under username Tomamoto, T-O-M-A-M-O-T-O, and my voiceover is featured in a wide variety of your favorite video games, anime, and other animated shows. Until next time, don't forget, this world is a strange one. (laughs) 